Google, show me budget. 340, 3D, 3D. I'd like to see a worse person in the world. <laughs> Could you kick up the uh, 43D, 3D, 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 engage. So, fresh off of the last few episodes of us. We're in the Academy series now. Of us catching up on all the Best Picture nominations. We're going to do a few episodes where... We're not talking about Best Picture nominations, but noteworthy films that we've been wanting to talk about that are also nominated, but in different categories. So today, we're going to do Gabe, Gabriel, the worst person in the world. And I kept calling it, I'm thinking of ending things. (laughs) Yeah, you did. There's really no connection, I feel. So that's pretty funny. (laughs) Well, just a lot of pessimism. It's a long title. (laughs) It is, really. It's a Norwegian film production. Yeah. It's a foreign Norwegian film and it's nominated for what? For one best international feature and I think also best screenplay. Original, yeah, screenplay. original screenplay. And who do we have with us today? We have back in the studio that is Stephen and Allie's kitchen. We have Allie Burnett. Hello. Good Woo! to be with you guys. Yes. It's so good to have you. Well, it's only recently that I went back and started listening to our podcast again. And I discovered that it's actually not that bad. (laughs) I'll never know. (laughs) Well, you're welcome to open Spotify. I feel very supported by both of you. (laughs) It's really good. Um, Yeah, in classic The Cult podcast form. TCP. We are going to analyze this as we would any other Oscar film. And so let's talk about the director. Who is Joaquin Trier? Joaquin? Joaquin. Trier. I just listened to his name pronounced appropriately last night, and I've already forgotten, but I think it's Hokim. No relation to Lars von Trier. Uh, And it was written by him, as well as Eskil Vogt. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking Norway here, people. I think this is his fifth or sixth feature. Allie, who was the cinematographer (laughs) of this movie? Casper Tuxen. And what do you think of the cinematography in The Worst Person in the World? It was really... Beautiful. It was. Did it grip you visually? It did grip me visually. It was shot well and colored well, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was a pleasant experience. It's the same guy who shot Mike Mills' uh, Beginners, which is oh, uh, a dearly beloved film for me. Yeah, I, I. What does Denny say? I, I uh, deeply love it. I deeply love it. I deeply love it. It was edited by Olivier Bouguet-Couté. What was that, Stephen? I said it once, and I shall not say it again. Let's hear from Allie, though. Is she going to pronounce the same name? Yeah. Olivier Bouguet-Coute. Coute. <laughs> Coute. Ah. My Coute? turn. Olivier Bouguet-Coute. <laughs> and the production design was pretty big in this. I think we're that the worst was by person <laughs> in the world. And that was by Roger Rosenberg. Production design and the art direction was by... Mirjam Veske. There's a bunch of people in the art department. We're not going to name them all. There were 17 people. Uh, the sound department. I think it's worth noting that of all of his features, I'm pretty sure he always writes with that gentleman, Eskilvat. Mm. Mm. They are frequent partners creatively. Great. The music, the score was by Ola Flotum. And I thought the, I thought the score was great. Yeah. The uh, score, not the soundtrack, but the score was but great. Both were good. The first thing I texted Stephen 
when I was watching it was this is kind of a banging soundtrack. Yeah. In the first 20 minutes of the film, there's a lot of music that's used, not just for the score, but. And here we get into the names of the cast. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh... Good luck. <laughs> you, want, the... you want to take turns? Yeah. You want to start? Yeah. Who's our heroine? The heroine is played by Renate Renzve. That's and pretty good. her name is Julie in the movie. Allie, do you want to take our second character there? <laughs> the gentleman? Uh, Anders Danielson? Looks like there's more letters. And Lee? there's Lee, yeah. That was, that was good. And, you guys are pretty good. And he played Axel. Yes. Or Axel. Axel. He was the love interest for the first half of the film. And then the second half is Herbert Nordrum as Ivand. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other people that were tertiary characters and i don't know how to talk about this movie the plot yeah (laughs) there wasn't much of a plot which makes it kind of easy to yeah so it's about this girl this woman a young woman in her late 20s a young woman in her late 20s there you go who finds somebody (laughs) that she wants to be with uh she claims to be in love with that person eventually after a while, like about a year, I would say a year or two, they move in together and they're in love, but she finds a reason to end it all the while thinking about and dreaming about being with another guy that she meets. Well, not all the while. It's like the, it's like what ends their relationship is she meets that guy. Yeah. And then she, yeah. And then she starts idealizing a relationship with this other person that she doesn't really know and then ends the relationship. And then they begin a relationship, with the person that she met at a party at a wedding that she crashed and then they have a relationship uh there's a talk of pregnancy and her not wanting to have kids that's a theme of the film pretty heavy theme and then this is a super reductionist plot summary (laughs) but then she does get pregnant and she's really unsure about the fact that if she wants to be pregnant she goes and talks to her ex-boyfriend who now has cancer and it's looking very bleak and then they meet up and start talking again and he expresses a lot of existential questions about not wanting to die and the point he, of his life. He's still deeply in love with her. Yeah, he's been in love with her the whole time. And then, um, what, she breaks up with the other dude as well? Yeah. There's or or do they even show that? No, don't, they don't. don't remember, but yeah. the epilogue sequence, which is a single scene, yeah. implies that she broke up with the new guy that she left the original he, guy for. Yeah, and now he has a baby with another girl Yeah, that she sees across the street or something which is funny because neither of them wanted kids yeah and then the movie ends and she kind of seems like she's on to the next thing it's kind of a hopeful note well no i was gonna say it kind of seems like she's a person who has commitment problems and there begins the discussion yeah and a deep one it is now i personally enjoyed this movie well i'm happy for you (laughs) but it wasn't my favorite i feel like and people would probably disagree with this but i feel like a lot of what was inside of this movie I've seen in other movies, not maybe not all together cohesively in one film, but aspects of the movie throughout. I've, you know, I've seen movies like this before. Mm-hmm. I do think the fact that it was set in Norway and was a Norwegian film made it unique. And the way that it was done, the style of it made it unique as well. But I don't really, I don't really have a lot of analysis to, to say. I, I did enjoy it, but it didn't like astound me, but I, I really liked it for its unique voice. Yeah, it's creativity. Like there's a there's a portion of the film that I really liked where she's tripping out on mushrooms and, and it gets really Lynchian for a second. Yeah. And even even gets down to hand drawn cartoon style mm-hmm. for a little bit, which 
is a metaphorical statement in of itself. But yeah, I didn't really have much to say. Echoes of Evangelion there. Yeah, totally. It, was, it caught me off guard. What do you think, Allie? Did you have any visceral response while watching this film or afterwards? Have you ever pulled a tampon out and thrown it at your dad? Wow. <laughs> that did sort of happen in a dream, in that dream sequence. I didn't have a visceral reaction because it's not like the universal woman's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every woman has their own unique journey as far as their like wants and desires go. They're obviously past traumas and like this specific woman she was raised by a single mother and there's obvious conflict with her dad and there's this tension of what it means what kind of like womanhood means i think in it because there's like this sequence of her it shows her mom how you know her mom was a single mom and then her grandma who had x amount of kids by the age that she currently is at 30 And then it showed like her great grandma, her great great grandma, and it kept like going back and back, um, basically showing like this evolution of her ancestors, the matriarchs in her family, and how many kids they had at young ages, you know, before 30. And I think it was showing this tension of her feeling kind of maybe like questioning, not even, not explicitly, but maybe implicitly questioning like what it, what it means to be a woman and her not having that desire to have kids at that age and also like exploring multiple career options like throughout Mm. her 20s and still like questioning what she wants to do she takes like three different directions within her 20s and then ends up working at a, a bookshop and then by the end of the movie we see that she's she's pursuing photography Mm-hmm. And I do think that maybe is a little bit more universal and that like I think every person can relate to like what do I want to do with my life um, mm-hmm. and exploring like identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in general, I enjoyed it and I thought like what it brought up was interesting and uh, yeah, the questions about like womanhood and feminism and... Mm-hmm. Um, even the like the kind of tension in regard to feminism with her first mm-hmm. boyfriend in the film, um, him being a, a graphic novelist or comic book illustrator, yeah, sort and of womanizing, considered more sexist type drawings yeah. um, that he does, but it being more normalized in comic book culture mm-hmm. and like the conversations that are brought up there. That's one of the one of the actual things that I liked a lot about it was the idea that it brought up about post-feminism, which was something I think that in an argument with like a feminist on like a radio talk show, he accused the host or something of being a post-feminist, right? That was the language, I think. And I thought that that was interesting because it's kind of the idea of like, I don't know, like reverse racism, if that's a thing, where it gets so far to one side that like it just ends up hating on the one people group. And so it was an interesting idea that Exel brought up in conversation that I've never thought about before post-feminism because it's almost like or at least this is how they conveyed it in the film that it was like this particular woman was so upset of like him just expressing himself in his art and he was advocating for just wanting to be able to express himself even though he may not actually feel the way that he's uh, implying through his drawings and his writing of his comic book and then she's kind of accusing him of you know, being misogynistic. And 
he was kind of saying that she, you know, is kind of like looking to accuse a white male for being sexist when he's not actually. And I thought that that idea was interesting. It reminded me a lot of like what I've heard about like alt-right people, <laughs> like where it's like gone so far to the right that they become extreme to the point where it's like no longer diplomatic or healthy. Like an outrage culture? Yeah. That scene specifically was fascinating. And I feel like you could create an entire discussion just about that one scene. Yeah. He's brought on to that broadcast to discuss his graphic and uh, allegedly sexist depiction of women in Mm -hmm. his comics. And it is, yeah, it's fascinating to watch him defend himself in such a way that is like his whole approach is... Uh, artistic freedom and not even just in a freedom of speech sense, but in the fact that he's just like using his medium as a way to process stuff for himself and to like work through those issues. And, but it did, it it was back and forth in such a confusing way that when that scene ended and especially with Julie, the main character watching it play out on TV, Mm -hmm. I was left curious as to what she was thinking. Yeah. Both her and Joaquin, as the director, I was confused what the the message was supposed yeah, to be, yeah. the takeaway, because it felt like both uh, Axel in that scene and the woman who was drilling him, it was like uh, it was like they were both kind of outrageous in a sense. Yeah, like she was looking just to like make a big deal out of something that right. otherwise wouldn't have been a big deal, but also like his depiction. Yeah, uh, his, the stuff that he was putting in his comic was also pretty, you know, kind of crazy at and, times. And the way that he was like responding to her he actually did seem sexist yeah and and like i want that to be stated by me and reiterated as well that i don't have an opinion about this i've never thought about that idea before but i thought it was an interesting idea for joaquim 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 to put into this movie and like you said not really come to any conclusion but the idea is sort of left lingering because because it's another take on feminism which is a huge theme of the film. But Julie and the audience both have this added perspective of actually having a relationship with Axel. Yeah. And so we, we've seen him be tender and be considerate and have depth to his character. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's an intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It was, it was curious. Mm-hmm. And that, I, that's why I said that, that whole thing is like a whole other level yeah. of discussion. These types of tensions are brought up throughout the film um for example like there's a whole chapter Mm because the movie's broken up into chapters the title being after like an article that julie wrote uh in which she kind of like expressed the tension of like certain things she likes intimately during the me too movement like during the age of the me too movement where certain things would be considered like that's being taken advantage of or um, Mm -hmm. things that maybe like would cross the line for certain people. Um, She was expressing like, oh, I actually like that. Um, But it doesn't mean that I'm being taken advantage of. So it was like, I guess bringing up like these interesting controversial conversations, I think like, exploring and expressing like this complexity that things aren't so like black and white when it comes to like, Mm -hmm. this is feminist and this is not, or Mm -hmm. this is sexist and this is not. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes there's some complexity to like the conversation. Mm. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. 
for sure. I like what you said first, Allie, like a few minutes ago about how a lot of the themes in this film are universal and there's, you can take that away as just a person, as a human on planet earth in the 21st century. What was it? We had stuff like identity, expectation for like your role in society and self-expression and stuff like that and what art is. But it's funny because everything through the film is basically through Julie's lens. And so that's mm-hmm. where we get the, the perspective on what femininity is and like mm-hmm. gender roles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you get everything from that fantastic chapter on like sexual roles, I guess you could say, um, in relationships and also stuff like, you know, having a baby and what that means for a woman versus a man and stuff like that. Um, and I really liked the way they handled it in this film with Julie. Like she, mm-hmm. she's not a flanderized character. She has a lot of depth to her and a lot of humanity. Mm-hmm. And we get, like you said, like to see into her background, uh, what like her family history has been, like you said, with um, going back, I think through like almost 10 generations of women in her family and how they all had kids and how that's sort of defined almost like a kind of rebellion in the way she lives her life and how she's constantly moving from thing to thing, whether it's like uh, career or in her relationships. And mm-hmm. she's trying to really find herself, whatever that means. I did think it was really cool and wholesome the way they explored her relationships with these different men, particularly the two, like from the first half of the film and the second half of the film. Like she had a unique and ultimately like positive and healthy relationship with both of these individuals. It was just different. And so that that yeah. hit home for me pretty hard. Someone who's like deeply cynical when it comes to relationships and uh, what? the, uh, yeah, it's like a shocker, whoa the way in which two people come together and how there's always little things that can kind of get in the way, despite what people would consider to be, you know, like, oh, you guys are good together. But there's mm-hmm. always little things that that rub in the wrong way. And what she had with Axel was different than what than with what she had with Ivan. And both were good, but both were different. And then ultimately she ended up moving on from both of those people because mm-hmm. of just... Almost the same reason at the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Which was insane. And Ali, you pointed this out that she was projecting her own fears onto like, which were almost the exact opposite fears of the reason she broke up with the first guy with, Mm -hmm. with Axel. Mm -hmm. She then said, there's that he was older. She wasn't ready for a commitment. And then she said to the second guy, you're not old enough, almost like you're not mature enough. And like, you know, there's no future here. (laughs) And it was like, so hypocritical or contradictory to what she had stated before. Well, the perspective shifts. Like yeah, she it's they say this throughout the film. It's just like particularly with the first guy. It was like we're just in different places in life and we're different people. And even though we have an incredible thing here and she did with each person. Yeah. It's ultimately not and I don't think this is like a, a detriment like to Julie's character. Like it's not like she, I honestly I don't think she's the worst person in the world. Right. To bring to, to drop to title drop. Yeah. I think she this is why I love the story is is because it is it's it's such a human story that's just a person trying to find themselves and that is a messy process and she ultimately wants to be not just happy but she wants to be fulfilled mm-hmm. like both in in every way like creatively you know she wants to feel secure and she just didn't have that yet yeah i think mm-hmm. well also it was interesting at one point she tells her first 
relationship, basically how she feels like a spectator of her own life. Mm. And then in the end, I thought it was kind of interesting when it was, um, they're on this movie set or TV set and um, the actress in it, she kind of has a similar look. Like they both are brunette with bangs and like a similar look. And Is that the epilogue, right? The the epilogue, yeah. yeah. And Julie is like, a spectator of what's happening she's a photographer on the set and then the girl the actress after the scene's over she goes outside and it's to meet her husband or partner and it's julie's ex and they have a baby and it's almost like this like as an audience we're also like spectators with julie of like this idea of like what could have been in some ways like That's, yeah. a different role that could have of womanhood or or personhood that could have played out in her life that's a very astute and keen observation i think that was all intentional yeah i I, that was yeah i wouldn't have pulled that out but that's super smart ali yeah the epilogue was fantastic in that way the way it clues you in on like or the way it uses that that other actress to be like these are the many paths of Mm -hmm. julie Mm -hmm. you know and it was yeah it was so funny that that woman didn't i don't know if you that woman walked off with Ivan, right? Who was the, the guy mm-hmm. she was seeing. So I mean, like, literally, yeah, it could have been her life. But she, when she got pregnant with him, she ended up miscarrying. Was that what um, that scene was? Well, she, yeah, she was in the shower. Yeah, and it was a miscarriage. Was gotcha. I wasn't sure that. what that meant. Um, so she was most likely going to have the baby uh, is what mm-hmm. the story was playing out to suggest mm-hmm. in her decision. But uh, she miscarried, so that was not the way that her life played out. But right. in the scene right after the shower, she's in the rub with the wet hair. She seemed really relieved and like almost at peace because yeah. she. And I think she started laughing or smiling yeah. because she felt so relieved about it, which was you know gnarly, sad. Yeah, I don't know if I got that same sense. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I guess I kind of took it as like. <laughs> Another thing in my life, like another thing that oh, like, like a cynical, hasn't, like a cynical way, hasn't played out like how I anticipated. Because she was starting to convince herself, like I want to finish this through. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I don't finish things through in my life, and like maybe this is what I can do. Yeah, and then she lost it, and so to me, maybe there was a sense of relief, but I think also like to me, it was kind of like this expression of, okay, <laughs> again. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't think about that either. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely thought it was relief at first, but they totally could be like an incredulous kind of response where it's like, I can't believe this is happening now. Mm -hmm. Because either way, it did enter a relationship. Like the, um, what is it, at the end of Lighthouse? Oh, where Robert Pattinson's (laughs) reacting to the light. His reaction, and I remember us all talking about that. You could take so many things. It was euphoria. No, it was was dread. Terror. 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 No. (laughs) I just remember that. Yeah. Any... Final thoughts. I was just going to say real quick, because you mentioned the mushroom sequence, which was great yeah. and weird. I also loved the scene where they froze freeze the city frame, of yeah, Oslo, yeah, and so Julie sad. runs out of her apartment with Axel just to go see Ivan. And the scene is like five or ten minutes, and you get to really... They're walking. Everyone is frozen in place except for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it had this beautiful... Yeah light whimsical piece from the score playing over it and it just felt really nice that was my other favorite part of the film for sure yeah it was it was very purposefully done to show how it feels to fall in love and it seemed like it took a lot of work from the production crew to pull that off uh yeah they should be proud of that it was excellent i listened to a little bit of hokeem 
talking about the film uh, with the two leads and oh. or two of the three leads. And he mentioned that scene as as in the context of he wanted something. He loves injecting little bits of surrealism into his pieces. And I haven't seen a lot of his other films. I, I mean, I haven't seen any of his other films. But I've been wanting to watch his last feature for a while, which is called Thelma. Mm-hmm. And it has a bit of a supernatural angle on it. And it's really interesting to watch that because it is an otherwise extremely grounded story. And you have those little moments of like magic that really elevate the yeah. material yeah. in a way that it's not like shocking and it's not like it doesn't break your immersion, but it mm-hmm. really adds depth, I sure. think, to the experience of yeah. watching the movie. It's really cool. it, it, up to that point in the movie, it sort of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And it hits you and you're like, oh, wow, this is like strangely beautiful. Like I did not expect this scene outside of time to take place for, like you said, like 10 minutes. And I thought, I thought, wow, that was like a very exceptional part of the film that enhanced only enhanced the film, you know, further. So I really, really enjoyed that. I think he achieved what he set out to achieve. Yeah. So this was a neon distributed film (laughs) and I liked it much better than Titan. And it makes sense why it's nominated for a few things at the Oscars this year. And we at the Cold Podcast just thought y'all would want to hear about it and that you should check it out because it's worth checking out, especially if you are just into good motion picture. So, talkies. There you go. That's the worst person in the world. The worst person. It's a Norwegian film, so you'll have to get it subtitled with English. Mm-hmm. Don't get it dubbed. That's mm-hmm. never good with live action. <laughs> Are you all glad that you watched it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'd love to go check out more of Hokim's stuff. He actually unofficially would dubbed this film the third part of a trilogy, not including Thelma or Louder Than Bombs, but his first two features, which were Reprise and Oslo, August 31st, is that what it was? Yeah. In terms of like, because he used Anders in each of those films, and they were exploring a lot of similar themes in terms of identity. Mm. Check it out. Check a look. Check a look on Worst Person in the World.